Good to see you guys. There's a verse that says, I cry where I once laughed, and I, I laugh where I once cried. And when I think of Sunday morning church, that really fits my life. Back before I knew the Lord, I cried when I thought I had to go to church. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to just be out in the world. Now I cry when I have to be out in the world, and I laugh and I love when I have to come to church. Not have to come, when I get to come to church. So it's especially good every Sunday to see you guys. You, you, there's so many other things you could be doing, but you set aside Sunday morning to come in, worship the Lord, hear his word, fellowship with one another, pray for one another, all the things that we do together as the church. And start with a, with a, a comment that don't take it right away at face value. God is really concerned about his church. But not in a bad and scolding way. He's really concerned about his church. He has great concern for his church. He loves his church. And so he's been talking to us for several weeks, and again today, and one more time next week. He's going to be talking to us about his church and how we should be acting in the church, especially in our relationships towards one another. You know, God loves us just as we are. That's true. He gets us. I guess you've seen that. He loves us just as we are. He gets us. But that's only a half truth. He loves us too much to let us stay as we are. He doesn't get us so that he can affirm us in our sin and bondage. He gets us so he can deliver us from our sin and bondage. We'll get that out of the way right at the beginning. So God's very concerned about his church, so much so that he's willing to take the time to instruct us about how he'd have us think and act, think about and act in the church towards one another. For the last several weeks, we've been working off of this passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It'll be our text again today. It should be our text again next week. Then we'll move on. Steve Smith, will you come and read? The rest of us will stand, and one more time, for the second to last time, we're going to hear Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Steve, good and loud into the mic. Will you guys stand with this? We'll honor God's word together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Thank you, Steve. And you may be seated. That's what we'll talk about again this week. 
This entire passage that Steve read emphasizes relationships in the church, which is so important in God's design for his kingdom work. This is very important stuff for believers, for God's people to understand, especially in these days. Now, verse 1 contains the main point of this whole section. We've covered it, but we're going to mention it again today. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Ephesians 4.1, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Lead a life worthy of that high calling. Paul's admonishing the believers in Ephesus to lead lives worthy of their high calling in Jesus Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ. I think Steve was sort of alluding to that in his prayer. Oh, when we see who we truly are in Christ, and then we see the discrepancy between how we're living, it causes us to fall before the Lord and say, man, something has to change. What I see of your people, or at least your standard for your people in the Word, and what I see in my life, they don't match up. You've been called by God to a very high calling, eternal life, and then everything he has for you, for you specifically, underneath that, in that category. You have been given salvation. You have been given relationship with God. You become a son and a daughter of God. Now, live up to that high calling. You have authority in Christ. You have power in Christ to live righteously and to accomplish his purposes. Live up to that calling, church. Don't take it lightly. What a privilege. What a privilege to be called by God. You have been called by God himself. He didn't have to call you. He chose to. What a privilege. Why do we take it so lightly? I guess that's what we're trying to figure out, right, Steve? Next, he says, this life, this worthy life you're living of your calling, well, it begins in the church. Oh, that's not where I thought it would begin. I thought I'd be out there calling down fire from heaven. No, it begins here in the church. Maybe we will be out there calling down fire from heaven, right? That's part of it. But it begins here in the church, in a place, a very unlikely place where most of us thought it would begin. It begins with how we relate to one another. Woo! That's a hot topic. Begins with how we relate to one another, how we treat one another in the church. Is that really that important, Pastor? Oh, my goodness. Paul's all about the church. God's all about instructing the church how important this is through Paul. We're going to probably spend six weeks on these six verses until it's all said and done. Now, there's a progression and there's a purpose to all of this. God doesn't do anything just random. It might seem random to us. Might not make sense to us, but God always has a progression. God always has a purpose, something he's driving towards, something he wants to accomplish. So verse 2, always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love for one another. So much easier to say Sunday morning. So much harder to do 
during the week when we're living life out there in the world. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults. Notice the progression here. This is kind of a, like, like a recap, but we needed to move forward. So listen to what we have to say. Look at the progression Paul lays out. Be humble to think of oneself correctly, not too highly, not too lowly. Be gentle. Now relate to one another correctly, always keeping ourselves, our emotions, well-managed, under control, not lashing out, not losing it, not quick to get into a fight like we did in our days before we knew the Lord. And some of us have scars to show for it. And this is especially as it relates to one another. It has to begin here before it can ever move out there. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, good luck loving unbelievers in the world. Let's sum up this thinking. How does this actually work? Okay, there's a progression. God's brilliant. He's always, he's, he's so wise. As we correctly understand who we are in Christ, this fosters confidence. Understanding who you are in Christ fosters confidence. Confidence then enables us to treat others correctly. If you have a low self-image, if you're not confident, confident, as the saying goes today, if you're not comfortable in your own skin, you'll never be able to treat others correctly because you're coming from that frame of reference where you're hurting and you're wounded. And you've heard the expression, wounded people wound people. Hurting people hurt other people. you got to get those wounds taken care of. Then we can correctly relate to other people. And that's what God says when you realize who how I feel about you and who you are in Christ, that gives you confidence. You won't have that low self-image or that too high self-image. You'll be able to correctly relate to other people. Right, Art? Steve? Anybody else want to chime in there? I can't hear your heads nod. <laughs> Just a word on confidence, and maybe I already said it, but confidence is such a good thing. God wants us to be confident, not arrogant. That's a whole different ballgame. God wants us to be confident, though, in who we are. It's such a desirable thing. Here's what confidence does for us. Now, pay attention because I think you can put yourself into one of these categories. Confidence keeps us from feeling threatened and intimidated by others. Because we think correctly about ourselves. Confidence also keeps us from needing the approval of others to feel good about ourselves. You following this? None of those will be the deciding factor in how we act, how we think, and how we relate to others. We won't be threatened and intimidated, and we won't need to have people's approval. Yes, we want to be liked. I definitely want to be liked. But I can't live to be liked. I have to live to please God. Then if you like me, great. And if you don't, man, sorry about that. Sucks to be you. <laughs> I'm not that confident, believe me. 
And what allows all of this that we're talking about is we know we're in Christ. We know how Christ thinks about us. We know how God our Father thinks about us. And that's all that really matters. We know who we are. We can be confident. We can face life. We can face others. We can face challenges confidently. And I would say, speaking for myself and most of you, we all need improvement in that area, as Steve was saying. We all need some improvement in that area. Lack of confidence can lead us into many wrong decisions because we're making and basing our decisions on wrong criteria, wrong reasons, either because we're intimidated or because we need approval. So we make wrong decisions out of wrong reasoning, and it's always disastrous. You can't really hear clearly from God when you're, when you're struggling with trying to please someone or afraid of someone. You can't really hear clearly from God. That has to be put aside. Much easier to preach than it is to practice. Many in the church, this has been my experience, and I'll lump myself right in there. Many in the church, many believers, many of us still lack confidence in who we are in Christ. We still don't yet fully understand who we are in Christ. But don't despair. God is very patiently working with us on that. Six weeks in Ephesians 1, 4, 1 through 6. He's very patiently working with us in this matter of how we think about ourselves and then how we treat one another. Be humble, be gentle. That's a progression. Lack of confidence can actually hinder us from being able to truly love others. Did you hear that? Lack of confidence can actually be a hindrance in keeping us from being truly able to love others. What's the second greatest commandment? Anybody know? Say it good and loud, Art. So love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. That's not just thrown in there as a nice ending to that commandment. It's love your neighbor as you love yourself. One thought from this verse can be, if we don't, or if we can't love ourselves, then we'll have a very difficult time loving others. Many of our behavioral problems come because we have such a too high or too low self-image of ourselves. Self-image. Self-image of ourselves. That's redundant. Self-image. We are to be humble and we're to be gentle in our relationships towards each other, one another in the, ch in the church. Making sense to you guys? Anybody out there making sense? All right, today's message, be patient. Or we could say, <laughs> be long-suffering. But long-suffering is not really a word we use too much today, but it's actually a better translation of that Greek word, be long-suffering. Verse 2 again, always be humble, be gentle, be patient slash long-suffering with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Because why? Because we love one another. Patience is very similar to gentle or gentleness, but it's different. Here's the main difference. Gentle is in the moment. 
Patience is over the long haul. What's that mean? Gentle primarily pertains to being in a moment. In a moment of time, I am tempted to lose control. I'm tempted to lash out or whatever. But I don't. In that moment, I don't. That's gentle. You were gentle towards that person. doesn't fit our English. You've got to forget how we think about gentle in English, which is kind of lowly and wimpy and timid and, or just really like kind and merciful. No, that's not what this means. It means you've controlled yourself. You could have, but you didn't in that moment. Patient or long-suffering primarily pertains now to the long haul. That's why long-suffering is a good transition, translation of this word. Gentle is an action in an individual moment. In each actual occurrence where I'm tempted to lash out, I don't. Gentleness is needed. You, you control yourself in that particular situation. Long-suffering is an attitude. It's a character trait with which we live. It's become a part of us. It allows us to be gentle in all moments. Following still? I have to be gentle in a moment, but when I become patient and long-suffering, I'm able to always be gentle because now that's who I am. I'm now patient. Following that, Pauline? I know I was wondering how I'd be able to actually lay out this, this progression that the Lord has and make it understandable. Patience, long-suffering is an attitude or a character trait that allows us to be gentle in any given moment where we need to be gentle. It's a mindset. It's how we live. It's how we view others. It's who we are. We are patient. We are long-suffering with each other, with one another, all the time. The mindset allows us to be gentle when we need to be gentle. Let me give you an illustration. Someone might say, wow, you know, he is very patient. He is very long-suffering with his children. No matter how many times the child messes up, frustrates him, disappoints him, or even just outright disobeys him, dad is always ready to forgive, to forbear, to overlook, to teach and instruct. Dad is never quick to judge or to punish or to criticize harshly or to disown, or to abandon and turn away from. You know, does, do I have to say this? I know there's a place for discipline. I'm not throwing out discipline. I'm never talking about compromising truth or condoning sin. Please know that. You do know that, right? That's a given. But in the general scheme of things, this is, this is who we are. We're not quick to jump down your throat because you messed up. Long-suffering works through many instances over the long haul to continually respond with gentleness even when you're pushed to the limit. That's patience. That's long-suffering. And doesn't it sound a lot like our Heavenly Father? Huh? Doesn't that sound a lot like our Heavenly Father? Who He is. How He relates to us. We'll talk more about that as we move to a close. That's how God our Father treats us. Hmm. Question. Is that how we've been treating each other? Very slow to judge? Somebody say no. <laughs> Ashlyn. Hmm. I have to talk to your dad about this. Arthur. 
Ephesians 4, 2 again. Always be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other in the church, making allowance for each other's faults because we love one another. Making allowances for each other's faults, that's just another way of saying be patient, be long-suffering with one another. Some versions actually translate it bear long, forbear with one another, put up with one another. Don't be so quick to write each other off and turn away from each other. Criticize each other. Grumble about each other. Don't be so quick to do that because we love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of faults. Does that mean that they're right and I'm tolerating their sin? No. That means I'm treating them as God asked me to treat them. I am not the judge. I know you got to be careful with this too. Um, I'm not this bleeding heart, merciful type guy. Uh, no amens to that? So I'm not saying we're condoning everything. I'm saying we're called to treat one another in this way because we love one another. There's a higher good involved here. I could get the short-time pleasure of really slamming in and lashing out and lose the long-term plan of God for that person's life and for their, their function in the church. And you can be tempted to do that often, especially when you're a pastor or when you're an elder in the church, when you're a leader. You have plenty of opportunity to come down like that and forget the higher purpose of the unity in the church, which is next week's message. But there is a time for that, I know. There is a time for discipline. There is a time for a firm line. But we're talking in general here how we treat one another in the church. And God's very, very concerned about this in these days. We can make allowance for each other's faults because, hey, you know what? You're not perfect, and neither am I. Right, Steve? That's what you were alluding to up here. But don't feel too bad, Steve, because Paul said, I have not yet achieved. I have not yet gotten there. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I press forward. And that's the way it goes on to say, all of you who are mature think that way. It's in the past. It's in the past. It's cleansed. We go forward. We can make allowance for each other's faults as we all, get this, we make allowance for each other's faults as we all grow together towards maturity and Christ-likeness. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But God brought us together in this family, so we're growing towards that together. Because we love one another. Love isn't this mystical, whoo. Love cares for the highest good of the other person and will do whatever it takes that they will reach their highest good. It's the way God treats us. It's how we're to treat one another. Did you ever see a pet, especially I'm thinking of a dog, have you ever seen a dog that has been abused? Pick him up from the humane shelter. The dog has been abused. The first sign of a raised hand or perhaps a newspaper, the dog runs and covers and whimpers because it was probably beaten. It was probably always punished. It was probably always disciplined as soon as it messed up. Very little mercy, very little forgiveness, very little room for error. And this is what that produced. 
Patience and long-suffering is the exact opposite of that. Don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to punish. Don't be so quick to beat each other up just because you can, and even though, honestly, they might deserve it. You deserve it sometimes. Be patient. Be long-suffering with one another. There needs to be mercy. There needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be patience. There needs to be room to grow as a Christian. Again, to your prayer, Steve, and I, I'm sure you didn't even know that your prayer was going to be so significant, but you were talking about those who aren't quite there yet and those who haven't even started yet. There has to be patience for those folks, room to grow, as well as for us who have been here for a while. We need room to grow. Making allowance for each other's faults. None of us is perfect. Don't be so quick to judge one another. And here's a practical reason why not to. Whenever I fall into the trap of becoming critical or becoming judgmental of others, where I'm quick to point out their faults and slow to show mercy and forgiveness, whenever I do that, Whenever I do that, this is going to be without exception. God always shows me where I've done the exact same thing that they're doing. And then you're like, oh. I hate when he does that. I hate how he deals with me. You think I would learn. My pride and my self-righteousness want to call people on the carpet. And God's like, I didn't call you on the carpet. And I could have. I showed you mercy and forgiveness. See, maybe you're like me. You want God to show great mercy and forgiveness, to be patient and long-suffering with you, but get them. Don't let them off the hook, Lord. Let me off the hook, please. But get them. That is the way we think. I have an illustration here that I'm really looking forward to sharing it. It Sharing, it illustrates this long-suffering, this patience, and how we should treat one another and not be too quick to judge. So our son, Nate, played football. You know him, don't you, Brandon? A little bit. So they threw him a pass in the end zone, and he was wide open, and he dropped it. And I thought, you could hear the collective gasp in the stands. Oh. So I was watching. I watched the coaches. I wanted to see what the coaches were going to do. Sure enough, they called him off the field. They took him out. He came off the field. A couple coaches got around him. I saw him talking to him. And I thought, oh, man. <laughs> Been there, done that. He was getting chewed out. I was thinking, he's getting chewed out. He's getting. So then they put him back in. Next play, well, I mean, there was a play in between. Then the next play, they threw him the ball again in the end zone, and he caught it for a touchdown. Man, it makes my stomach root when I tell this story. So after the game, I said, man, Nate, what did the coaches say to you after you dropped that, that pass in the end zone? He said, they came up to me, and he, they said, hey, Nate, don't worry about that. That happens to everybody. We're going to put you in. We're going to call your number again, and you're going to catch it this time. 
That's patience. That's long-suffering. I have another story of a guy that I went to watch. He played for Donegal, and he was a defensive back. And his guy got behind him and scored a touchdown. And the coaches pulled him out. And they met with him on the sideline. And he never went back in. That's not patient and long-suffering. He quit football. If you can't do it just simply because you love people, do it for a higher cause of what can be accomplished. This kid that they never put back in could have been a good football player. Let's just close, as we often do, just with some verses, not much commentary, just verses that will relate to this matter of being long-suffering, being patient. We'll start with the example of God himself and how he is towards us. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, forbearing, and patient God is with you? Let me just give you one very practical illustration. I said no commentary, but this came to me. The fact that you're sitting here and I'm up here preaching is an indication of how long-suffering God is. Because the wages of sin is death, and we're here. We're alive. He had every right to exact that wage when we sinned. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, forbearing, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That goes back to that thing that, yes, he gets us. Yes, he loves us just as we are, but too much to let us stay as we are. He's never going to affirm us in our sin and bondage. He's going to deliver us from our sin and bondage. That's why Jesus came, to set the captives free, to destroy the works of the devil. So we often think that, wow, if I'm patient, if I'm long-suffering with him or her, if I don't really judge this and get on it quickly, well, it's just going to encourage them to continue to sin more. Maybe. But what does this verse say? Our patience and our long-suffering with each other can actually lead folks to repentance and to positive change. Romans 9.22 in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient. He's very long-suffering. The example of Jesus himself, 1 Timothy 1.16. God had mercy on me. This is Paul talking. God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience and long-suffering with even the worst of sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Here Paul gives a purpose for why Jesus shows patience and long-suffering towards us. Others will realize it. Others will see it. And they will, they will be attracted to him. And they will come to him. You probably never ever argue or punish a person into the kingdom. But we love them into the kingdom. And when they see how much we love one another, they'll be attracted to Jesus because that's why we love one another, who we are in Christ. Folks can be drawn to Christ as they observe 
our patience, our long-suffering, our forbearance towards one another and with each other. Here's a similar thought in 2 Peter 3.15. Remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. If God would have reacted to sin and, acted and reacted immediately, there'd be no opportunity for salvation. None of us would be saved. We'd have all been wiped out. 2 Peter 3.9 is a classic. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise to return. He is coming back. Slow as some people think. No, he's being patient. He's being long-suffering for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Patience, long-suffering, what we're talking about today, it's a virtue, it's a mindset, it's a character trait that's produced in us, not manufactured by us. We can't do it in the flesh. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. He will produce it in us. What we need to do is yield to him. Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be holy people, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is an admonition to the church, to believers, that we are to be patient, we are to be long-suffering with one another, even as he is patient and long-suffering with us. In all things, we are to be like him. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And then it goes on for a whole whole list. This is that famous love chapter. It's heard at many wedding ceremonies, although it's very applicable to life in general, not just the marriage. Isn't it interesting here? When Paul goes on to define love, Christian love, the love of God, agape, The first characteristic of Christian love mentioned is patience, long-suffering. Is it important? Eh, seems like it. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, brothers and sisters, we urge you, warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient, long-suffering with everyone. Conclusion, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. You see it up there? How about if you say it together? Again. One more time. I love this verse. It doesn't actually have our word patient or long-suffering in there, but it sums up what we're saying. Don't be so quick to judge, scold, punish others. When they mess up, treat them the way God treats us. Treat them the way you want, you want to be treated. God, forgive me, have mercy on me, but get them. That doesn't cut it. In the long run, even though it seems like what I really want to do is just... In the long run, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy always accomplishes more than judgment does. There is a time for judgment, and God will judge. And Jesus is coming back as the judge. I know that. 
talking about in the general day-to-day relationships in which we live, mercy always accomplishes more than judgment does. My wife always says you catch more, what, something with honey than vinegar? You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. You accomplish more by mercy and love and long-suffering than you will by harsh judgment and getting on somebody's case as soon as they mess up. You've been around people like that, right? You don't even really want to be around them. Some people have left churches because there's been such a legalistic standard that you mess up, you're done. Who wants to be around that? Last verse, Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. Patience, long-suffering within the... within the relationships of a church is so important. It's something that God is hammering to the church in these days. And there's always a purpose with God. You know, I'm not a doomsday prophet. I don't think you have to be a doomsday prophet to look ahead and say, wow, there could be some really tough times coming. The evil one is really pulling out all the stops. We're going to need each other. How can we be growing strong and need each other if we're always judging each other and criticizing and grumbling each other and all that stuff. We need to get along. You guys need to get along over there. You know, these are your best friends, whether you know it or not. You need them. They need you. The house needs you guys. Needs you to display some of this Christian love stuff. It's not just for in church Sunday morning. And that goes for all of us. we got people at work that we have a real hard time with. People in our families, unfortunately, right? That we struggle with. Patience and long-suffering, it fosters and it protects the unity of the family. That's next week's topic. We stand. Thank you. That was a fitting ending, Olivia. Thank you. Uh, Deb Fry, will you come? Oh, and while Deb's coming, you, Dan, you missed the second part of my help wanted. You asked for readers. Thank you. The second line said, I need prayers. I need people who are willing to pray after the message. The, the people who are willing to pray, that list, is only half as long as the list of people who are re- willing to read. So I'm looking for some people who are willing to come and pray like Deb's going to do now. And thank you for this, Deb. Wait till everybody's settled. Don't, don't pray over the distractions. Father, I just want to thank you for Pastor Hub's sermon on patience today, um, which we all lack a lot of it, Heavenly Father. And I just pray for this congregation to just uh, open up their hearts and just uh, pour out the love and kindness onto each other, Heavenly Father. You know, as Steve said, we're, we're not perfect. We're still learning. We're still growing. And we still have faults that need to be fixed. And you are the one that fixes us, Heavenly Father. So I, when we go out from this church, Heavenly Father, I pray that we show the love 
the kindness to our family, to our coworkers, to our friends. And let us not, you know, I think of uh, 2 Corinthians. And take captive every thought and make it obedient in you, Christ. And that is one of the things that um, I feel that, especially with me, because I want to jump to conclusions and stuff, you know. And I pray for that, Heavenly Father. I pray that uh, we just be patient with each other. It's, it's been a long time, Heavenly Father, that um, I, I needed this. I needed this sermon, Heavenly Father. It's, you know, I <laughs> really, in the past couple months, I haven't been patient at all. So I just pray for that, Heavenly Father, over the whole congregation, Absolutely. and I pray that um, as the worship band begins to play, that we just look up to you and open up our hearts and just uh, bring in that love and just overwhelming love and joy and kindness and, and everything that you want for us, Heavenly Father, that we can show others. And that, you know, we're not an obstacle in their path to come to know you, God. So I just pray that you uh, just give us that big, enormous love, Heavenly Father. You are the Almighty. You are our God. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.